Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Blunstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Hey, it's so good to have you today uh, because today we're in our final week of our sermon series entitled Relational Intelligence. And next week, uh, we're starting a brand new series, and you don't want to miss it. It's out of the book of Ephesians, which you know is one of my favorite books. And we're going to be in chapter six. If you want to start reading that chapter, it's just absolutely a, a series you want to invite your friends and your family and your coworkers and everybody too, it is gonna be absolutely amazing. Hey, but one thing though, before we jump into today's conversation, next Sunday, which is January the 28th, we have the opportunity for those of you who are new to RCC or maybe you're curious about some things about RCC and you're wondering, hey, what's next for me here? Uh, we do something every fourth Sunday of the month called What's Next Lunch. And it's just really an opportunity for you to have lunch with the lead pastor of your campus. That would be Dustin on our Blunstown campus, Philip on our uh, Chipley campus, and myself here on the Mariana campus. And basically, you'll hear a short overview of our mission and our vision and the opportunities that we have for you. And maybe um, if you have a family, we have a great um, introduction into all the environments that we create for your family as well. Uh, there's going to be a great lunch there. Um, Childcare is provided. The other thing is you get to meet all the staff at all of our campuses so that if you need to know who to talk to or interact with, uh, you have that opportunity as well. And so any questions you might have, it's a safe place if you ask any of those questions. So we'd love for you to join us uh, next uh, week as we kind of are in the second month of this new year and it's just a great way to get the year started. So you can let us know that you're uh, gonna be a part of that by um, going to the RCC app and there's a What's Next Lunch um, uh, tab there that you can go there or you can stop by the gallery at your campus and just let the team know, hey, um, I got some questions about this, but I'd like to be a part of it. And they can make sure that you are signed up and your children are signed up as well. So um, now go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, your uh, talk notes, however you're going to take notes today, whether that's going to be on the app or um, if you bring a notepad or something. Um, because we're going to jump in our final part of this series entitled Relational Intelligence. And what we have been learning when it comes to relationships is that we all have one thing in common, right? And that is this. We think the way that we relate to people is above average. In fact, most of us, we really believe deep down inside that our personal relational, uh, 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 relational intelligence is very high, much higher than most people that we interact with. In fact, here's how we've said this for the last three weeks. Our overestimation of our relational intelligence is the number one relational limiter in our lives. And in the first week, if you weren't here, we gave you research to help you understand that. Um, and especially the business community has come to understand this as well. But sadly, too many of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have not been honest about this truth. In fact, it says, John Ortberg says, he says, without even realizing it, we project onto God and we project onto others the fear and the greed and the complaints that we have toward others that just fester blindly beneath the surface of our soul. It's why as Christ followers, we have to talk about this issue in our lives. So, so today... We're going to look at another relational limiter that the Apostle Paul talks about that keeps us from having life-giving relationships. So what is this relational limiter? It is the limiter of expectations. Now, I want you to think about it this way. Whenever we walk into any relationship, we come into that relationship with a list of desires, 
A list of dreams and wishes for how we hope that relationship will go and what we hope that relationship will become. If you start dating someone, you have this idea, these dreams, these wishes. When you move into a friendship, when you work into, move into work relationship, when you go to school and you go to the next grade or whatever, you have this list of dreams and wishes for how you hope certain relationships will go. And desires are not bad at all. They're great. In fact, most of our desires are God-given, and the reason they're God-given is because God gives us relational desires to help us pursue and cultivate connection in our relationship. So God implants in our heart these desires and these dreams that will make us move toward some level of connection in relationship with other people. In fact, the truth is God has desires for us, so much so that he left heaven, he came to earth, as we're going to see today, and said, I desire a relationship with you. So there is nothing wrong with desires. But if we're not careful, our desires get infected and they become relational limiters. See, what all of our desires have in common is this, just laying beneath the surface of our soul in the area of our desires is this sentiment, this is what I envisioned. And by the way, this sentiment of this is what I envisioned, it applies to every relationship that we're part of. You, you envision something for your marriage, you envision something for your family, you envision something for your friendships, you envision something for all the people you work with in the workplace, you envision something for all the people you're in school with. This is a sentiment that we carry into every relationship that we're a part of. In fact, if we're really honest, the large reason that we are in some of our relationships or are pursuing certain relationships is because of something that I envisioned from the relationship. See, we, we envision that somehow or another my spouse or my children or my parents or somebody I work with or go to school with, that they're going to make me feel safe or they're going to make me feel secure or they're going to make me feel loved or wanted or enough or successful or they're going to give me this sense of significance and purpose in my life. And here's the thing we have to understand. As long as this sentiment of this is what I envision doesn't begin to dominate our thinking, it doesn't begin to drive our desires. Our desires, what we wish for, what we dream about for our relationships are good. It's as one person said it this way. I am I and you are you. I am not in this world to live up to your expectations and you are not in this world to live up to my expectations. So basically he's saying, listen, desires are good. Wishes and dreams that we have they're good because desires that have not become infected, they are for the benefit of others with no expectations. Now don't miss that. Desires are about the benefit that I can bring to others. Now, as we're going to see today, desires, they operate from a place of humility. The Apostle Paul writes about this. He says, desires basically operate from a place of humility and understand something about humility. You might want to write this down. It's not in your notes, but you might want to write it down. And that is this, humility has no expectations. As we're going to see today, 
From the words of the Apostle Paul, humility has no expectations. See, humility is expectation-free. Humility is about emotional neutrality. Like, I don't get stirred up if somebody doesn't meet my expectations. No, I, I just stay humble. But here's what happens in every relationship if we're not really, really careful. Our desires get triggered by the sentiment of this is what I envisioned. Or what I envision for this relationship, it's not coming true. It's not happening. And when they don't come through and they don't make me feel safe or secure or loved or wanted or enough or successful or give me a sense of significance and purpose in my life, without realizing it, the fear, the anger, the greed, the complaints that we carry toward others because they didn't do what I envisioned. They fester blindly beneath the surface in our soul and they infect our God-given desires. And when our desires get infected, we begin to demand that other people meet those desires. And the result is, we begin to take our infected desires and we start dumping them onto other people that we're in relationship with as expectations. So what was once a desire is now an expectation. It's a desire that got infected with, this is what I envisioned and you're not coming through. So don't miss this. One of the most destructive things in a relationship is when our desires get infected. And they become expectations. And here's why. Don't miss this, especially men. Don't miss this. Expectations completely change the dynamic of the relationship. See, an expectation takes you from a debt-free experience. I am a peer with you. Mutual submission is the way we operate in this relationship. To now, with this expectation, you are a debtor to me. You owe me. See, you may not say it, but when desires get infected and become expectations, you start thinking something like this. <laughs> We're no longer peers, because you owe me this. And you start thinking to your spouse, you owe me. You start thinking about your boss, you owe me. You start thinking about your coworker, you owe me. You start thinking about your parents, you owe me. You start thinking about your children, you owe me. You start thinking about your friends, you owe me this because this is what I envisioned. And here's what I know. I know all of us, we could build a strong case for why our husband, our wife, our parents, our children, our boss, our coworkers, our friend owe us what we envision from the relationship. After all, maybe they kind of promised it or they kind of said it. And you might even be justified to some degree that they promised it or they said it. But as justified as you may feel, as soon as expectations enter the relationship, the relationship changes from a debt-free, peer-to-peer relationship to a debt-debtor experience in the relationship. And when that happens, there is no margin for love to breathe. 
Because see, love says, I'm doing this for you because I want to. I'm doing this with you because I value, not because I have to or not because you have to. See, where there are expectations, love is never recognized or appreciated. Let me say that one more time. Where there are expectations, love is not recognized or appreciated. Because here's what happens. Expectations remove the margin for selfless love from the relationship. Because love is a gift with no expectations. Think about it this way. The problem with expectations is that when somebody does meet your expectations, they don't get any credit. Why? Because that's what they were supposed to do anyway. They owed you. You you don't thank them when they do what is expected because why would you express gratitude for something that they should do? I mean, that's what you should do as my husband. That's what you should do as my wife. That's what you should do as my parents. That's what you should do as my boss. That's what you should do as my coworker. Some of you, you're feeling this pressure, this tension in your marriage or another relationship you're in right now, aren't you? Like as long as you do what you're supposed to do or should do for the other person, everything is peaceful on the surface. However, there's not a lot of love flowing in the relationship because underneath, just lying just beneath the surface in the soul is this complaining these infected desires called expectations. And while there is no fighting and nobody's walking out of the relationship, there's no flow of selfless love. So let me say it again. One of the most destructive things in a relationship is when our desires become expectations. Now, here's what I know. If we could automatically just take all of our expectations and just pull them back in and make them desires again, then we could just say, hey, this is all you have to do today. Just pull these expectations and make them desires and your relationships will be great. Go home. It'll be a wonderful day. Except the problem is it's not that simple. You know why it's not that simple? It's not because the other person It's because of us. Because see, the fear, the anger, the greed... And the complaints that we carry toward the other people that we're in relationship that fester blindly beneath the surface of the soul because they didn't do what I envisioned they should have done, it fuels our feelings, our feelings of anger and fear that I'll not get my needs met and greed that I want more of my needs met and I have more complaints. And so I do more things to protect myself to get my needs met by turning my desires into expectations that I demand from the other person. Now, that's why the Apostle Paul, I believe God had the Apostle Paul speak clearly about this and gives us some insight how to deal with this natural tendency in all of our lives. In fact, here's the advice he gives us. If you've got your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 3. And he says, here's how you deal with this. Notice what he says, beginning in verse three. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. So why would the Apostle Paul start with that phrase, do nothing out of selfish ambition when it comes to relationship? Because here's where the problem started in relationships in the first place. See, selfish ambition is the driving force behind the sentiment of this is what I envisioned getting out of control. Selfish ambition is the idea, I want something for me, for my benefit. This is what I envisioned. I deserved it. You owe it to me. But it doesn't stop with that. 
Because selfish ambition always leads to something else, vain conceit. See, when I start getting selfish, then I become vain. Now, vain conceit is what makes us amp up the level of our infected desires so that they become expectations to the place that we go, this is what I envisioned. I mean, after all, I deserve to have what I envisioned to the point that we start demanding other people because of our selfish ambition and our inflated sense of self. I deserve this. It's why we grumble and complain about other people. It's like you, you grumble and complain about other people because of selfish ambition and vain conceit. You grumble about your spouse. You grumble about your parents. You grumble about your children. You grumble about your coworkers. And I'm going to show you why, in just a moment, why I say that in just a moment from Scripture. You owe me, so now deliver. The Apostle Paul says, this is, this is what corrupts our relationships. I envision this. I deserve it. And he says, but here's how you should be as a follower of Jesus. He says, do nothing out of these two, but rather in humility. Now, this word rather is Apostle Paul's way of nicely saying, hey, instead of being such a jerk, an arrogant, ego-driven jerk in your relationships, instead of saying, this is what I envisioned and I deserve it, because you're selfish and you're full of yourself. He goes, live with humility. Live with the attitude of humility in your relationship with others. So the question is this, what, what is humility? Well, humility is, we're gonna see in just a moment from what Apostle Paul writes, humility is turning your attention away from you, from what you envision, don't miss that. Humility is turning away from what I envision and focusing my attention on benefiting others. See, humility is not me focusing on how I can get my way. It's not how to convince everybody that I'm right or how to talk everybody or manipulate everybody into doing what I envision. No, as we're going to see in just a moment from the Apostle Paul's writing, humility is thinking of others before you. Humility, as we're going to see from the model of Jesus that the Apostle Paul lays out for us, humility has no expectations. Humility is expectation-free. Now, when you start dumping all of your expectations on the other person, think about this. When you start dumping and you start demanding, who are you thinking about first? Yourself, that's right. You need to meet my expectations. You need to do what I envisioned. So you can summarize what the Apostle Paul is saying in the first part of this passage this way. You can't have expectations of others and be humble at the same time. And if that's not clear enough, the Apostle Paul continues, and here's where he says it. He says, rather in humility, oh, here's what we're to do. Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each to the interest of others. Now, this is huge. Because every day, with every decision that you make, you and I, we tend to ask the question, what did I envision here? We tend to ask the question, what's best for me? And those are selfish ambition and vain conceit kind of questions. The Apostle Paul is saying, you need to change the question from what did I envision and what's best for me to what is best 
for others. Now, that, that would change a lot of our attitude and a lot of our decision-making, wouldn't it? It would change a lot of your feelings that you have toward others, wouldn't it? If you quit going, this is what I envision, and you better do it. See, the Apostle Paul continues saying, hey, listen, just in case you don't understand what this looks like lived out, he describes for us what humility looks like as modeled by Jesus. Look at verse 5. Here's what he says. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. In other words, instead of approaching your relationships with selfish ambition and vain conceit, which demands other people do what we envision, Instead, you need to approach your relationships with the same attitude that Jesus approached his relationship with us. What kind of attitude was that? It was humility. And he goes, oh, and just in case you don't know what humility looks like, he says, here it is in verse 6, who being in the very nature of God. In other words, the apostle Paul believed as we do, and all the early followers of Jesus believed this, that Jesus was God in human flesh, 100% God in human flesh, 100% man, 100% God. So if anybody had the right to demand their expectations be met, to demand preferential treatment, if anybody deserved their own way, if anybody could declare, hey, I am more important than anybody else, it would be in Jesus. But Jesus, and don't miss this, the Apostle Paul and others, like I said, they're convinced that he was God in human flesh. The Apostle Paul says, listen, what we were so amazed about, the people who knew Jesus, what we were so amazed about is, is this. He did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. In other words, the one person in the universe who could have claimed that he was the most important person in the room, in every room he was ever in, and could have had the power to use his position for his advantage, he didn't do it. And that's just incredible. Because give us a slight advantage, and our tendency is to do what? To use our advantage for our own well-being and we start demanding other people meet our expectations of what we envisioned but with all of his power and all of his prestige as God he never leveraged it for his own sake but notice what he does rather instead in verse 7 rather he made himself nothing we try to make ourselves something and we want everybody else to treat us as if we're something and Jesus goes no that's not what I'm about he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a, if you underline words in your Bible, underline this one or highlight it, the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, for just a moment, I want you to think about what a servant does. What's a servant do? A servant wakes up every morning thinking about, this is what I envision for my day, and everybody better meet my, what I demand, Right? Nope, that is not what a servant does. No, a servant wakes up every morning thinking about how they're going to benefit someone else, realizing my whole role is about benefiting the people I serve. A servant never thinks they have the right to demand other people meet their expectations of what they envision. Don't miss that. A servant never thinks they have the right to demand that other people meet the expectations of what they envisioned. Let me just ask you a question. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if our savior and leader willingly chose to have the attitude of a servant, 
identify and live on this earth as a servant. If he did not demand other people meet his expectations for what he envisioned, shouldn't that be what describes us when people talk about us? Shouldn't humble servant be what our spouse says about us? Our children say about us? Our coworkers say about us? Our classmates say about us? See, humble servant doesn't mean weak. Jesus is the most powerful being in the universe, but he's humble. The Apostle Paul says, hey, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to pay attention to your leader because he goes on, he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. We, we don't understand all the steps of obedience that he had to take between life and death. He could have overrode everything the Jewish people were doing, overrode everything the Roman people did to take him to death, even death on a cross. So why, why did Jesus give up his own advantage? Why, why did he choose to lose his life on a cross for us? Simply. Because a relationship with Jesus wasn't possible because of our sin, or another way to say it, it wasn't possible because of our ego and our pride. We owed a debt to God that we could never repay. We wouldn't even admit that we had rebelled against God. We wouldn't admit that we needed his forgiveness. We wouldn't come to God, so God did what? He came to us. God came to us, and he paid the supreme sacrifice to cancel our sin debt. So Jesus, he embraced humility so that we could experience the reality of a relationship with him. So Jesus sets this example to follow. So the apostle Paul says, hey, followers of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, here's what happened. We should have the same attitude. We should humble ourselves. See, humility desires what's best for the other person. Humility is the path to relational vitality. Humility is the strength behind great relationships. It's the foundation. So here's the question. How do you know if your desires have become expectations? And if they have, and for many of us, they have. How do you have this mind, this attitude of Christ, of humility, the attitude of waking up every morning, seeing yourself as a person here to serve the best interest of others? So first, let me, let me answer the question, how do you know if your desires have become expectations? Now, to do that, I have found five great questions that I used. I'm gonna share them with you so you feel as convicted as I do. They help you understand and check your level of expectations. Here they are. The first one is this. Do I find myself angry, frustrated, or irritated with others because things are not what I envisioned? Listen, one of the biggest indicators that we have shifted our desires to expectations is our anger, our frustrations, or our irritations with other people because they haven't done what I expected. Like some of us, we just live with this constant low-level discontent, complaining in our hearts toward our spouse, toward our parents, toward our children, to our coworkers, that all these people we're in relationship with because they have not done what we envisioned. 
and they owe me. So this is the first one. Do you find yourself angry, frustrated, irritated with others because things are not what I envisioned? It's a pretty simple answer, yes or no. Now, if you don't know, the persons beside you could tell you because they live with your anger, frustration, and irritation. So the second one is this. I, I want you to look at your level of expressed gratitude to others. Not, not the level of gratitude that you feel because we all feel grateful. But express gratitude. So here, here's the question. Do I withhold gratitude for someone's effort? Don't miss this. Because it just didn't live up to my expectations. It's not what I envisioned. You should have done a better job loading the dishwasher than that. You should have done a better job mowing the yard than that. You should have done a better job washing the windows. Doing the flower. I mean, you should have done a better job. Do I withhold gratitude for someone's effort because it was not what I envisioned? You left a spot on those dishes. Don't forget that. Like, do you express gratitude when the outcome is not what you envisioned? Listen, look at your level of gratitude expressed in your relationships when it did not happen as you envisioned. If you don't express gratitude... When something doesn't happen as you envisioned it, even though they put an effort forth, it wasn't what you expected. Then there are desires or expectations. Listen, the less expressed gratitude when things are what not you envisioned, the higher the level of expectation. And I can just tell you, you are suffocating your relationships to death and you're blaming on the other person. Now, the third way that you know your desires have become expectations is by asking this question. Do I hesitate to do second mile acts of service because it wasn't what I envisioned? Like, like when is the last time you went the second mile at work without complaining or without bringing attention to it when things were not as you envisioned? I mean, the workplace is the worst for this. Well, I, nobody else goes the second mile. Why should I go the second mile? This is what they signed me up. When I signed up to work here, that is not what I signed up for. This wasn't on my job description. I can't believe people. I mean, it's just a ridiculous place. Nobody else, so why should I? Well, isn't that just a toddler attitude? Like, where's Jesus in that? Like, when is the last time that you went the second mile, the second level of service in your work, in your home, in your school, even though things were not what you envisioned? Listen, the more we hesitate to do second mile acts of service, to go to the next level, to do above and beyond, because things are not what we envision, the greater the level of our expectations. So now everybody's got three checks already, right? It's fixing to get better. Fourth one is this. Do I feel like they owe me? Because it's not what I envisioned. Like, well, I married, they said it, they promised at the altar. I mean, my gosh, like. Listen, some of you need to figure out what you think they owe you. Because it's going to be hard for you to see how you're placing expectations that are destroying your relationship, taking all the love, all the intimacy out of your relationship. See, until you have identified the debt that you have put on them, you will not know how to drop your expectations. 
The more you feel they owe you because they have not lived up to your expectations, the greater the level your expectations. And here's the final and the fifth one, and that is this. Do I feel they're letting me down because it's not why I envisioned? This is the biggest one of all. See, all of us go through life feeling other people are hurting us, wounding us, letting us down. I can't believe they let me down. Oh gosh, they let me down again. Let me just say something. And this is gonna mess with some of you. So if you need to talk to me about it, you can't. But a counselor by the name of Sue Gilbert helped me understand this. Most of the hurts, most of the wounds, most of the complaints we have toward other people in a non-traumatic relationship don't miss what I just said. They're non-traumatic. In other words, your, your spouse not having an affair on you. They didn't beat you up last night. Those are traumatic. But most of the hurt, most of the wounds, most of the complaints that we carry from non-traumatic relationships are self-inflicted. That other person didn't hurt us. They didn't wound us. We just felt let down because that sentiment of complaint in our heart because of, they didn't do what I envisioned. See, in non-traumatic relationships, when we feel hurt because it's not what I envisioned, that is self-inflicted wounding. Like, who are you higher than Jesus Christ yourself that you could demand other people? Listen, the more you feel people have let you down, many of you have gone through life angry, irritated, frustrated at so many people because all these people let you down. No, they didn't. You just had these expectations. And they didn't live up to them. Listen, all of us have expectations. Most of us check three or four of these. And then what happens is once you've identified your expectations, then what do you do with them? With an attitude of humility, you do what Jesus did. You release all those expectations. You ask God to help you release your expectations with an attitude of humility because you can't let go of the expectations on your own, in your own flesh. It's a conscious decision that you have to make daily. Now, here's what I know. If you intentionally put on the attitude of Christ, in fact, the Apostle Paul multiple times, in fact, in Colossians, he says, I want you to clothe yourself with humility. Here he says that you need to put on humility. If you do what Christ did, clothe yourself with humility, you know what Christ did? He came to this earth and he canceled all the debt that you and I owe. And it was at great cost to him. See, that's what desire is willing to do. Desire is willing to do whatever it costs me to have a great relationship with you. Expectation says, oh no, it needs to cost you a whole lot and mean nothing to have a relationship with you. See, when we take on the attitude of Christ, we cancel the debt, the expectations that we feel our spouse, our friends, our coworkers, our boss owe us, that's humility. Now, here's what I know. Whenever I coach people about this, and I coach people about this all the time, the last 20-something years, 
Ever since Ms. Sue has been working work with Melody and I on having an expectation-free marriage. People always get frustrated with me when I talk about this and I get all these pushbacks. Because here's what people say. Well, if I don't have any expectations, how am I going to get my needs met? I'll answer that in a moment. But I also tell people this. Listen. Living expectation-free, if you talk to my wife, Melody, she's in, in this service here, but don't bombard her after the service, please, because she's an introvert, and it would totally overwhelm her. But here's the thing. If you would talk to her, while we have tried and worked hard to live in an expectation-free marriage, we have not lowered our standard for what we desire in our relationship with God, in our relationship with each other, in our relationship with our family. And I, I mean, it's like you, you don't lower your standard just because you get rid of expectations. You, you just desire it. And then you lean into God. I'm going to show you how to do that in just a moment. See, there's this fear in so many people that if I let go of my expectations, I'm never going to get my needs met. That's why the apostle Peter invites us to change where we put our trust to get our needs and our desires met. Here, here's what he says. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Everybody take a picture of this. Write it down. Memorize it. Here's what he says. Cast all your anxiety. Some of your translations will say, cast all your cares. Some might even say, cast all of your needs, all your desires on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You just take that big list of desires and dreams and wishes and expectations, what you envisioned, and you dump them on God. You trust God with how many of them? Wait, I don't think anybody got that. Chipley, blunt sound, come on, Mariana, here we go. How many of your needs, desires, wishes, how, much, how many of those you put on God you cast? Yes. Trust him with all your fears, all your worries, all your needs, all your concerns, all your complaints you have toward other people. And you go, yeah, Peter, you sure that's going to work? He goes, oh, I'm sure. Because here's why I know. He cares for you. You matter to him. Your dreams, your desires, your wishes, they all matter to him. You can trust him with them. Do you know why? Peter goes, yeah, I can tell you why. <laughs> I spent three years with Jesus. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw how much he cares. And then I watched him give his life as a humble servant to prove his love for you. And so Peter says, man, if I am confident of anything, you can trust that he cares for you. Now, does that mean you shouldn't talk to your spouse or your friends about your desires? No, you can have that conversation. But here's how you have the mind of Christ, uh, the attitude of a servant, the attitude of humility in having that conversation. You sit down with your spouse, your family, your friends, whoever, and, and you say, hey, I, I, I need to own something. I've been expecting some things out of you that should have only been desires. I've been dumping things on you that I should have dumped on God. See, and because what I envisioned because my desires got infected, I've not been grateful. In fact, because of my expectations, I have set unattainable standards for you to meet. That's why I'm always unhappy. It's why I'm always angry. It's why I'm always grumpy. And I am so sorry. So I have a question for you. Oh, all of you are going to love this question. 
Here's your relationship question for the week. Tell me where you feel pressure to live up to my expectations. Now, let me just go and tell you, this is gonna hurt worse than the first weeks. So you just need to strap yourself in a seatbelt, put something around your hands so you can't move and let them tell you. And then when they tell you, say, okay, I wanna change that. Because I do have desires for our relationship. I have incredible desires for my relationship with God, with you, our family. But I don't want to have any expectations anymore. And listen, don't, don't miss this. Removing expectations doesn't mean, move you, mean you remove the standard. It means you trust God to help you meet the standard. And then, when they fulfill some of your desires, say thank you. Thank you. But don't even... Don't expect them to meet your desires to make you happy. What did Peter say? Take all of your God, the desires that you have and cast them on who? God. Because here's what Peter knew. We're gonna cast our desires and our expectations on somebody and nobody else is capable of handling them but God. Everybody else you throw them on, it overwhelms them. It destroys them. So trust in God to meet your needs. Because as I said, we're always gonna cast them on somebody. And I'm gonna tell you, if you cast them on your spouse, it's going to rob your marriage of joy. And it's going to make them feel burdened and oppressed. If you cast them on your friends, your boss, your coworkers, it's only a matter of time before you start going, why don't I have any friends? Because it suffocates their relationship with you. Because it's no longer a peer-to-peer. You owe me. Listen, if you trust yourself to try to get your needs and your expectations and you so, Matt, and you decide, I'm going to demand people in my life live up to my expectations. Let me just tell you where we're going to end up. You're going to end up emotionally frustrated, angry, and irritated all the time with a complaining spirit just always in your soul. You're going to be always grumbling, complaining about people. And you're going to end up emotionally and physically alone, isolated. But if you trust Jesus and cast your expectations, your worries, your desires, your needs, all of them on him, he promises not only to carry them for you, but then in the Apostle Paul in the same letter to the Philippians in, in chapter four, he says, and by the way, my God shall supply how many of your needs? Everybody at all of our campuses, how many of our needs? All our needs. But I can promise you, he will not try to supply the needs that you're dumping on other people. He will only supply the ones that you cast on him because he cares for you. So will you trust God with your list of expectations that you're carrying we release all the people today from those. And I promise you, if you will, you will have a lot less disappointment, hurt, and wounds from your relationships. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing word. <laughs> I just thank you every time we go back. It doesn't matter how many times we look at a passage, how many times we dig in to a truth. It just gets richer and richer. It makes our lives better and better. I just thank you that not only did you call us and say, follow me, but you became the model for how to do that. And then not only were you the model, but you said, hey, I'm going to be with you. That's how much I care about you. I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. So I'm going to empower you and I'm going to help you live out what I've called you to do. And I thank you for that because we've got to have your help on this one, Jesus.
So today we all, we all admit that we've sinned against you and we've sinned against others because we've not cast all our cares on you. We've cast them on other people. We ask for your forgiveness for our sin of that. And today we're choosing to walk in humility, to wake up every day with the attitude in the heart of a servant. I trust you to meet and supply all our needs. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey guys, have a great day. Love you. We'll see you next week.